Good morning, everybody. If it is your first time here, thank you so much for joining us at South Point. If you're watching online, thank you so much. Hope you're having a great morning so far. Um, Before I get into the message, I want to do kind of a quick public service announcement. Um, Everybody has heard us talk about the Church Center app. Um, We use it for a lot of different things. If you haven't downloaded it, I want to encourage you, one, to download it, and two, to use it. And I'm preaching to myself um, because, Don, you laughed last service. Um, when we use that, it kind of centralizes a lot of things for our staff, and it lets them find that information a lot more quickly, and it saves them a lot of time, and that's important to them. And so let's get better at using that. Um, now they got that out of the way, let's go on into Nehemiah. We'll keep walking through this amazing Old Testament book. I have been in ministry for almost 20 years, um, and one of my companions during that time, because I did about 15 years of student ministry, um, was YouTube. Um, my son is old enough now to where he wants to be a YouTuber, he wants to put videos out there, and some are funny and some I just kind of go, well, that's cute. Um, but the other day we were talking, I picked him up from class, and he said, Dad, did you know there's a video of like a kid biting another kid? I said, well, that sounds weird. I don't know if you need to watch that. And he goes, yeah, and it has like a billion views. And I went, oh, Charlie bit me. That one's okay. Uh, he's like, you've seen it? I'm like, but everyone has seen that. And we started talking about the evolution of dance and Magical Trevor and all these old YouTube videos. But he tells me about all the ones that he watches now. And there's one in particular. Um, it's a guy, if you've got kids in that age, his name is Mr. Beast, which sounds weird and terrifying, but he seems like a pretty good guy. And Logan was telling me about him earlier this week. And he said, yeah, Dad, he's really generous. And I said, did you say generous? And he said, yeah. I said, that's what I'm preaching on this weekend. Tell me about this guy. What, what makes him generous? He's like, he just gives out a lot of money. And so he's showing me these videos where he took like 10 grand and gave it to a homeless person, took $100,000 and distributed it amongst the people in a city and just kind of gives out money. Now, I didn't tell my kid when he does that, 50 million people watch his video and he gets paid a whole lot for it. I didn't explain that part. But I love that he was just learning that generosity is an important thing. The generosity that really, it's something that's expected of us, and it happens in a lot of different ways. And sometimes we don't take the time to really seek it out and go, hey, am I being generous with all that God has blessed me with? Well, Nehemiah is going to do this today. Last week was about Nehemiah identifying a problem and going, hey, there are people that are being taken advantage of, and that's not all right. But he's going to take it a next step and show that, hey, it's one thing just to put words out there to defend people. It's another to give action to it. And so we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 14. You can follow along on the screen or in your own Bible. Nehemiah says, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. As we kind of start this morning, we have to understand something. Greed is a dangerous snowball that you want no part of. We're all familiar with the snowball effect, right? You take a little bit of snow and you start rolling it and it gets bigger. Not this last snowstorm, which was horrific, um, but the one before that where it was just a perfect day where the powder like came out and you could make great snowmen. And so we took our kids out and we made one snowman 
And then I'm kind of like, go big or go home. I was like, boys, we can do better. Like, let's build one that's like bigger than all of us. And so we went out into the little retention pond, which is the perfect spot. And man, we start rolling up a big snowball. And it looks like you have vacuumed that pond area. Like, it is picking up every piece of snow. And I'm like, look, guys, the bottom's got to be big. And so we're pushing and we're pushing. We get to a point, I was like, this was a dumb idea. <laughs> My children are small. Um, and we had rolled a snowball that probably weighed 400 pounds, um, trying to push it up onto the embankment and then not have it roll out in the street and hurt somebody. I'm breathing heavily and like traffic's passing by. People are wondering if I'm okay. And I just told the boys, I'm like, I don't think we can do this. Um, so we called it a snow bale for snow cows and we just left it there and that thing stayed for days. But you've seen a snowball and you've seen like cartoons where it just rolls and rolls and rolls. And sometimes it gets really big and sometimes it gets really dangerous. And this is what greed does. Greed has a way of creeping in and destroying things. And it's happened to these people over and over again. And Nehemiah is finally going to bring it to an end. And so he knows that these people had been oppressed. We saw that last week. They were being taxed and they were having to sell off their children. And he said, this is not okay. But he's going to take it a step further. And he's going to say, hey, I'm going to teach you about generosity. Why? Because the gospel requires more. Like as believers in the New Testament time, the gospel requires more of us. When we look at our lives, it's not, okay, what's the minimum that I can do? It's how can I pour myself out knowing that God has called me to great things, knowing that God has equipped me for great things. The gospel requires more of that than the mentality of just what's the minimum that I can do. And so Nehemiah, he's just going to continue to lead. Like this is an amazing thing that Nehemiah does. He's done it in all sorts of different areas. You've already seen Nehemiah lead out in prayer. Nehemiah is burdened for the city of Jerusalem when he hears about it. The walls have been destroyed. He mourns. And the first thing he does is not form a plan or grab people. The first thing he does is he prays and he prays and he prays. He spends months laying a foundation of prayer. Nehemiah leads out in that. And I hope that we're a people that pray. Like I hope that we're a people before we jump into something, before we barrel into it, that we stop down and go, okay, God, what are you calling me to do in this situation? What part will I play? How do I point people back towards you as I go through this? I hope that we are a people that pray because Nehemiah is led out in prayer. Then he leads out in answering the call. It's one thing to be burdened. It's one thing to feel God calling you into something, and it's a whole other big thing to like take that step of faith out and do what God's calling you to do. It can be scary. It can be terrifying. It's part of my life. When I was 15, I felt God calling me into ministry at a camp that actually wasn't too far from here. And I remember being really excited about it at first. I got to preach my first sermon. I had like six pages of notes. It was about three minutes long. Times have changed. Um, man, it was terrifying, but it was awesome. And then... I started thinking about it, I'm like, I heard what pastors make, and I was like, well, I kind of had a little different path on uh, finances that I was thinking. And so I started running from God, and man, I was miserable. And then changed up a little bit, and was like, nah, okay, I'll be the best volunteer they've ever had at a church. I'll do anything and everything, but I'm still not giving in to this. And then I remember finally working at a church for about three weeks and going, if I'm not doing this, I'm going to be miserable. I've got to stop. I cannot outrun God. Nehemiah doesn't run at all. He just immediately goes, I know God is calling me into this. I know it's going to require a lot of me. I'm going to have to leave the comforts of the king's court. I'm going to go off to Jerusalem, which is essentially just a backwater hubble right now. And I'm going to do the things that God's going to call me to do. He leads out there. He leads out in caring for other people. 
He makes sure that people are taken care of. He leads an organization, and now he's going to lead in generosity. He's going to set the example. And the thing is, Nehemiah didn't have to do this. For the first time in the book, it says, moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor. He doesn't always carry the title, but he had it. He had been appointed the governor over this area by King Artaxerxes. And whenever you were a governor, it gave you some ability to tax people. And this is how they would run their own households. This is how they would accomplish their political ambitions. They would tax the people in order to do these things. And in doing that, it has created some of the most wealthy human beings in all of human history. The richest people that have ever existed, it wasn't because they made a good product or ran a good company. It's because they could tax everybody else. King Solomon, in the history of the Israelites, he would tax the people, and other people wanted to make sure they were in good with him, and so they would bring these tons and tons of gold in. They said if you took something, okay, most of us have something that's golden. I've got a gold Aggie ring. It's like 14-karat gold. If you took gold in its purest sense, and you took all the gold that exists in the world, it would fit into a box that's about 20 meters by 20 meters. I mean, that would fit inside of a baseball field. And Solomon, at one point, owned a double-digit percentage of it. It made him a trillionaire. If you skip forward a couple generations to the time of uh, Caesar Augustus, whenever we read the Christmas story and it says Caesar Augustus calls for a census to be taken, he was the first emperor of Rome. When you're the first emperor of Rome, you get to make a lot of cool rules for yourself. He said, hey, we're going to tax everyone, but Egypt that we control right now, that's my personal property. That's what I get out of this. I get the entire country of Egypt. And Egypt was a cash cow. All this grain came out of it. In today's dollar amount, if you owned that, you would have $4.6 trillion. That's a large, large number. That, that makes Jeff Bezos' savings account look like a, you know, like a 23-year-old part-time youth pastor. Like, this is an unbelievable amount of wealth. And if we're all really honest, we wouldn't, we wouldn't shy away from some of that, right? Like, if you had the ability to be that wealthy... By just simply saying, bring in the money. You don't even have to go to people's houses. You had people that would go and look people in the eye and say, hey, I know your kid needs to eat tonight, but the, the governor requires some cash, so give it up. Like, you had people that did that. You just got to reap all the rewards, and it could make you unbelievably wealthy. This is the danger of greed. Greed can seep into our lives, and a lot of people, man, they would let that darkness overtake them and go, I could have everything I want. And this is what Nehemiah goes, I'm breaking that cycle. Because this is where it had become a snowball effect. It says even the governor's servants, these would have been like minor public officials. Don't think like along the line of a slave or something, but these were like minor officials that worked for the previous governors. They went, you know what? I've got a pretty good position. I can tax people too. And they can't say no because I can go to the governor and have everything taken from them. And so this is where it snowballs and greed becomes this thing where it creates a culture of greed. And if we're not careful we can fall into that. We can fall into that darkness. We begin to show that to like our circle of influence. We begin to teach that within our families, and it can be very, very dangerous. One thing that I don't want to teach my children is that greed is something that needs to be a part of our lives, that we have to have everything, that we've got to covet everything, and we'll do anything to get it. And all we really care about is storing up material possessions when God's going in his own worries like, that's not the treasures you lay up. But Nehemiah goes, well, I'm going to break this. Former governors are doing it. But he said, look, people are suffering, and it's not okay. So what's his motivation there? Is his motivation necessity? 
well, I need to get this wall done, so I'm just going to tax all these people? No. Was it a popularity thing? Well, if I don't tax the people, they'll love me and they'll keep me around. No. He answers it. He says, even their servants lorded over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. This is Nehemiah's foundation in everything. It always goes back to God. It always goes back to his glory. He says, I walk in a fear of God. And when we say fear of God, don't think like, oh, he's going to smite me, that kind of thing. This is a deep level of respect for something greater than you. And I've shared this story before, but years ago, I lived in a little house, and I noticed man, hot water's not working. The hot water heater had, had uh, gone out, and I was like, I need to just relight it. I'd seen people do that before, and so I had people coming over, and I opened up the hot water heater, and something struck me very quickly. The word death and danger appeared a lot. And those are words when you're working around open flames and gas that kind of grab your attention. And I start looking, at, and it explains about 50 different ways that I can mess this up and blow my house up. And so I'm not joking. I memorized the instructions. Like, I was going to get them done perfectly. Um, I didn't want gas going everywhere. I didn't want it to blow up and kill someone or myself. Like, I had a healthy fear of the hot water heater. Now, I didn't lay in my room at night going, the hot water heater might get me. But I understood, inside that thing, there's some powerful stuff. And I am going to have a respect towards that. And this is what Nehemiah has. He has a fear of God. He has a level of respect where he knows, look, if we're all being honest, we'd love to be Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a great leader. He was a great organizer. He obviously did a lot of things really well. He could have let pride creep into infinite areas of his life. Man, look at the leadership ability I have. I should get a raise. Man, look at the way that this wall's coming up. I am awesome. You know what? We should put my name on there somewhere. No, he just doesn't let pride creep in because he goes, I know as great as I am, there is something greater. And it's a holy God who's called me into this, who's equipped me for this, but it's all for his glory. And honestly, we've been called to that today as well. We skip forward into the New Testament. In 1 John chapter 3, not John chapter 3, but 1 John chapter 3, John writes this. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. If we believe, we bless. Like, if we are followers of Christ, if we believe in the gospel that Jesus has come and made a way for salvation to take place in our lives, if we believe that, we have been called to be a blessing to others. Love when he says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. You want to talk about generosity. The greatest generosity that ever happened was God looking out on a broken and sinful world, a world that railed against him, a world that railed against his word, his commandments, and his very nature, and said, in my absolute generosity to pay for that sin, I'm going to send my son, and he's going to live a sinless life, and he's going to minister, and he's going to show what generosity truly looks like when he lays down his life so that you and I could experience forgiveness, so that our sin could be covered, so that we could stand before a perfect and holy God and go, I'm, I'm covered by his blood. I'm forgiven. That's the ultimate act of generosity that has happened. 
And John says, because that, because you know what was done for you, because you know the level of generosity that has been poured out on you, we have been called to pour that out on others. When he says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Like, do we have the world's goods? Yes. Most of us have like a home and some possessions. And it's amazing that God can call us into using those to reach out to other people. You know, a couple weeks ago, we still had power at the church. We're like, hey, if anyone needs a place to stay, come here because it's cold outside. We, our house, we open it up for life group. There have been times there have been so many kids in my house. Like, I have, we have them down the hallway. I'm like, I can hear sheetrock breaking. I hope the babysitter's okay. We'll check on him in a little bit. Like, we just open up our house and say, hey, how can we use what God has blessed us with to be a blessing to others? Like, when we see people in need, if I know someone is hurting, if I know someone needs just a, a place to stay, like, we, we have those things. God has blessed us with them. And if we look out and we see people that are hurting, it's pretty clear. Like, how do we have God's love abiding in our hearts? Do we have talents and abilities? Yeah. God has gifted this church and churches across the globe with so many different talents and abilities. And when we see someone in need, if we don't use those, we're walking in sin. I loved a couple months ago, we were doing our pantry. And there was a young woman, her car broke down in the middle of the line. We kind of got it moved. And within moments, we had like four or five guys that have a lot more mechanical experience than I do. I just kind of walked by. I was like, can I get you some water? Um, Man, everybody went to their house. They had every set of tools. I think they took the engine out. Um, I mean, just it was this hive of activity. And they're like, we're not going to let you leave until this car is running. And an hour later, she drove the car off. Because people looked and said, I see someone in need. I see someone that is hurting, and I have been given God-given talents and abilities, and I'm going to put those into action. Are we blessed financially, unequivocally? Like here in America, we have been unbelievably blessed, and we have the opportunity to be generous because there's a lot of people that are hurting. There are a lot of people across the globe. I know last couple weeks ago, we sat and went, man, I don't have water. I don't have power. And then I started thinking, it's like, man, there are people, some of them brothers and sisters in Christ, across the globe, they live like this every day. I know some of them. I've got some friends in South America, man, they are hurting. When your country goes bankrupt, it's not good. And they're calling, saying, hey, how do we get out of here? There is no food. There is no medicine. And yet, we have the opportunity to reach out and be a blessing. We had some of our missionaries from Russia here last week. Like, we have been blessed so much, and we get the opportunity to be generous with that. Because the world knows, like everybody, especially in America, like they know Christians are supposed to love them, right? Like I think they've heard that enough from people. But when we put action to it, it shows something unbelievably different. Like when we put action to our words, that's why he says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Actions are much more powerful. And we've been called to be generous to others. We've been called to use the things that God has blessed us with, but we have to see it. This is where I have a prayer. God, I just want to see people through Jesus' eyes for just a little bit. Like, work that in me. Because you know the New Testament story where Jesus looks out on this crowd of people and it says he has compassion on them. He looks out and he sees a person. Not only does he know their name, he knows the things that they're struggling with. And he sees the person that's prettied up the outside and looks like it has it all together. And on the inside, he's hurting and he's lost and he's broken. And he doesn't get angry with them. It says he has compassion on them. My prayer is that we would look at people and see them the way that Jesus did. 
that we'll see people that are hurting. And sometimes we'll see past the facade on the outside that we look at some families and go, man, y'all have got it all put together. Y'all should be on Hallmark cards. But inside their house, it is insane. Like, I pray that we can see people like that. And I pray that we would have a heart that John calls us to and say, hey, it's not just to see it, but it's to put something to action. Not just a, hey, God bless you, but actually doing something that has action that moves somebody closer to Christ. Because there's so many times that when we meet physical needs, it opens up a door to share the gospel with someone. And to be able to invite them to church, to be able to share the love that Jesus has with them. I pray that we see people and have the heart that we're supposed to have and then put it into action. Because that's what Nehemiah does. He doesn't just say something. He puts it into action. In verse 16, he said, I also persevered in the work of the wall and we acquired no land and all my servants were gathered there for the work moreover there were at my table 150 men Jews and officials besides those who came to us from the nations that were around now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox six choice sheep and birds and every 10 days all kinds of wine in abundance yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people remember for my good oh my god all that I have done for this people. Nehemiah's generosity in some ways was just example setting. Like he set the example so that others could follow it. One, it says, I had no land. When he came in as governor, he could have acquired any house that he wanted in the city, but he would have had to have kicked someone out of that house. Plenty of other governors had already done it, and that was just a thing that people with that kind of power did. And he said, no. I'm not putting a burden on someone else. And so he says, hey, look, I'm going to set an example. My people that are here, we didn't even acquire land. We took nothing from other people. And so he just sets the example in generosity. Then he sets the example in the work itself. He says, hey, I persevered on the wall. Yeah, Nehemiah looked out and he assigned sections to different people and he raised up leaders and equipped them well. But he also got his hands dirty. And there were days where it was like, hey, you know, so-and-so's sick today. All right, I'll fill in for him. And this is what he does. He sets the example, and then he sets the example with generosity. He shows people how to pay it forward, if you're familiar with that term. Because he was given a governor's allowance of food that he could have taken from other people. This is how it happened. He had to take it from someone for his household, and he said, no, I'm not going to do that. At my own expense, I'm going to feed my family. At my own expense, I'm going to feed hundreds of people. It says he had 150 officials, and he said there were people from other nations that were coming in. And so every day they took an ox and some sheep and some birds, and that's what they used for food. If you take an ox and you butcher the thing, you're going to have a lot of meat. In fact, a couple months ago we were sitting at Al's house, and coffee with Al in the morning is really good. And I'm just going to say this. If the world goes like, if it goes bad, get to Al's house. That's where I'm going because uh, Al knows stuff. Um, we just kind of ask them, we're like, hey, what, how much land and, like, animals would you have to have to, like, survive if we didn't have electricity and everything went crazy? And within, like, 30 minutes, we had it figured out um, because I just figured those things out. You take an ox and you butcher it, you're going to lose a good bit to, like, bones and things like that, but you'll get over 400 pounds of meat. So if you give half a pound of meat to someone, that's feeding 800, and we haven't even got to the sheep yet. Nehemiah, his banquet table is massive. There are hundreds of people at this place that are eating every day, that are fellowshipping, that are talking, and they look and they see Nehemiah out of his own generosity every single day making this happen so that people didn't have a burden placed on them. He sets the example. 
He says, yes, I could take whatever I wanted from you, but that's not what we're called to do. I'm called to be generous. I'm called to pour this out. I'm called to use the things that God has given me to make sure that others' lives are blessed. And so my question for us becomes, okay, what opportunities for generosity will we have this week? And I would say we take the Nehemiah approach. Before we try and be generous, first let's pray about it. Man, God, put something in my life this week where I have the opportunity to be generous. God, give me the eyes of Jesus to see someone who's hurting. God, when I see that person, make it unbelievably clear, that's the one. Go be generosity. Go be a blessing. But let's start with prayer, that God would give us that heart for it. Because sometimes we do, we want to hold on to the talents that he's given us, to the, the finances that he's given us, to the giftings that he's given us, and go, no, I just want to keep this for myself. And yet we have been called to much more. The gospel requires more. So first, let's pray about what generosity looks like. And then, seek out the good of others. When we seek out the good of others and we get the opportunity to be a blessing to someone, everyone knows it's an encouraging thing to us. Like right now, I'm going through some premarital counseling stuff with some young couple, and last week we covered finances, and one of the sections that we talk about is generosity. It's a proven fact. doesn't matter if you're a believer or non-believer. If you're generous with your time, with your money, and you're a blessing to other people, it's an encouragement, and it makes your life better. There have been studies that show that. People deal with less you know, anger issues. Like There's just something about being a blessing to other people. And we know that we've been called to be a huge blessing because we know that we've been equipped for that. Like if we're following Christ, we know that the ultimate generosity was passed down to us. And so we have been called to spread that out and be it to other people. The depth of our love for God will determine our actions. We have to let that sink in a little bit. The depth of our love for God will determine the actions that we take. Do we love him enough to be generous? Do we love him enough to be sharing? Do we love him enough to be loving to other people? Or do we get greedy with our own actions? No, I don't want to forgive this week. I don't want to love this week. I don't want to do those things, and it's not what we're called to do. The depth of our love for God will determine the actions that we take. So my prayer is we love God deeply, that we love his word, that we love his grace, that we love his mercy. And then we pray that we would have the opportunity to bless others with that as well. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, you give so many examples of generosity. Your word right in front of me is one. The way that it encourages us, the way that it, it molds us, and, and at times, God, it, it cuts deep when it needs to, and it gives grace abundantly. We thank you for that. God, we thank you for the generosity that you showed in, <laughs> in giving your son the love and grace that Christ showed in laying his life down so that we could experience forgiveness. And if there's someone here today, whether it's in person, whether it's online, and that's never been something that you could say was a personal relationship with Jesus, it's not about being a good moral person, it's not about going to a church, it's only through Jesus Christ that we can be forgiven. Our sin separates us from God. But in his love, he sent Christ. And if you've never had a personal relationship with him, maybe it's just saying, God, as best as I know how, I want to come to you. I want to turn away from my old life. I want to be a follower of Christ and make Jesus the Lord of my life. And in that instant, 
this abundance of generosity of grace is poured out on us in something we call salvation. And so if that was you today, I would encourage you to talk with one of us, talk with one of our staff. We want to celebrate that. And God, I pray that we would be a generous people. God, that we as a church would be known as a generous church, not for our glory, God, but so that we can always point people back to you. Give us those opportunities this week. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.